In a review from 1973, Rolling Stone said, Singer-songwriter-pianist Tom Waits is more than a chip off the Randy Newman block. Though he sounds like a boozier, earthier version of same and delights in rummaging through the attics of nostalgia, the persona that emerges from this remarkable debut album is Waits' own, at once sardonic, vulnerable, and emotionally charged. Mm. Today on the inaugural episode of Louder Than Sound, we do a deep-dive discussion into Tom Waits' 1973 album, Closing Time. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who have mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new podcast by the name of Louder Than Sound. Some listeners may know myself, Charlie, and my co-host, Jake, as the hosts of the now-defunct uh, podcast, Bowie vs. Dylan. Well, on, on, on hiatus, on almost permanent on hiatus. hiatus. <laughs> almost permanent. Bowie vs. Dylan <laughs> was an opportunity for us to do incredible deep dives into two of our favorite musicians. Louder Than Sound is an opportunity for us to spread our wings, expand our horizons, and do some not-quite-as-deep dives into a whole bunch of other artists and albums that we love. Uh, to kind of help us move in unexpected directions, we're... We're adopting themes. We're going to do a theme for every episode. Some of the themes will be repeated. And our theme for this first episode is appropriately first albums. So an artist's first album. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, first albums, oh, first Jake. podcast. That's kind of a... Uh, that's kind of a, I'll explain it to you later. It's a little okay. deep. It's a little deep for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, just to discuss what I think about first albums, uh, here's the thing about them, Chaz. Everybody's got one. Every, I don't have one. Every single band and performer... <laughs> of original material, and usually all cover bands, and everybody has a first album. Um, I was trying to think, uh, I, well, first of all, I couldn't think of one, but then I also did like a very scant research about it. I thought maybe out there there'd be that one like super cult band that only ever toured regionally and was so cool that they didn't bother ever recording. Uh, but even then, there's probably some uh, deluxe, yeah. deluxe edition album of that one live show <laughs> that made them legendary... <laughs> Uh, which would uh-huh. have been their first album, but I couldn't find anything like that. Like, everybody records an album. And uh, so by Damn. definition, you know, we got a lot of first albums to choose from. That's right. Uh, my thing with first albums is that I don't usually like them as much. I mean, there are some obvious examples of ones that I really love. Um, uh, there's so just there's just so many. Uh, but I'm, I'm not the kind of fan that is only into people's early stuff, generally. Um, I'm kind of, I'm usually the kind that likes third or fourth albums the best because the band has matured into their best selves by then. Um, quite often. I think I, there's a few different ways I feel like that, you know, well-known artists go. There's yeah. the hotshot debuts that never seem to recapture their initial Correct. Magic. Your Weezers, that kind of thing. Your Weezer, Interpol was one I was thinking of. Oh man, of. Interpol, good one. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the Strokes, but the Strokes are one of those. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Uh, but then you also have like these, you know, the Growers. 
Yeah. Think of a band like you know the Flaming Lips, who oh, sucked man. for the first ten years that they existed. Yeah, like really. Before sucked. they suddenly became pretty good, <laughs> and then another ten years after that, they were they became really awesome. <laughs> right, or the so, Nat, or the National. There's those bands that kind of like they start off with an interesting debut, and then they grow and grow and grow until they're like an 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 awesome band, a mature yeah. band. Those are those are my favorite kind of bands. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, you can't you can't say no to every single first album. No. Uh, but, uh, uh, but you know, and so, and so what I'm trying to say is like picking an album for this is like, you could just, you could throw a dart at a dartboard, um, at first albums and you could talk about very one. So, um, I thought that my intuition ruled the day over what I chose. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell the audience what I chose just yet. I want to, <laughs> I want to let you do, uh, Tom Waits closing time. It. Well, you know, go for so, it. Yeah, and, I, uh, and I'll, I'll tease my I'll tease my first album at the end of the episode, but uh, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So I picked out Tom Waits, and it was a lot of thinking about this, but I think it's what it landed on him was, you know, this is not his best album, but it's no. still a good album. It is. And Tom Waits is just one of the most fascinating living musicians. This guy is just like, he's such a story unto himself. Um, as a little introduction, he's got a few different major, let's say like three major phases to his career, which line up with his three different record record labels. Okay. So he starts in the seventies with Asylum Records, makes a variety of kind of jazzy nightclub type songs in general. That's the area he's going in. In the early eighties, he marries a lady by the name Kathleen Brennan, who is awesome and wonderful. Um, I don't really, I'd like really kind of shook him up and changed him. And she's a co-writer of albums. I'd like to think of her as uh, his Yoko, except that everyone likes her. <laughs> right, right. You know, but she is like, yeah. she just kind of lands in there and introduces him to all this other stuff. And he starts getting super weird. Uh, he it get, ends up being super or heavily influenced by weirdos like Harry Parch and especially Captain Beefheart. Oh, sweet beefy. <laughs> sweet, sweet beef, sweet what beef. Are just, I'm sure at some point we'll get into like Trout Mask Replica or something I'm sure we will I don't know what we'll say about it in year 10 of this podcast that'll come up <laughs> and my wife will divorce me because she yeah. hates she hates Captain Beaver oh she should <laughs> <laughs> he's weird man <laughs> but he starts getting really strange and is you know starts using like homemade instruments really odd instruments right um, really different sound uh, song structures he keeps moving down these paths of these story songs and they get weirder and weirder. Uh, his vocal cords turn literally into sandpaper. As yeah. far as I can think. I have no clue how he sings currently. He's like the most growly. He's like a Louis Armstrong on sandpaper. Yeah, he's know. like he's like <laughs> even even more growly than Bob Dylan. But he's been doing it for like but he's been doing it for almost forty years now that. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And he started out he started out a little growly, but he gets so growly. I just don't I don't know how he oh, even sings like that. Like, yeah. I don't and he know actually, how your throat he actually like talks like that a little bit too maybe that's just how a his little, vocal yeah. cords are yeah i've seen a few movies yeah he does kind of talk like that and so his third phase he moves to anti-records the second phase is island records yeah. third phase is anti-records it's just kind of him doubling down he gets stranger and harsher and weirder um he's got about 20 studio albums total but has not released an album or new music of any kind since 2011 it's yeah. been already bad as me a great album he should yeah he, he, should, he should rectify that that's a good album let's I know. let's do he's more He's, uh, I believe he's in his early 70s now, and he's also been in something like 30 films, which I didn't yes. realize, I knew he'd been in a few, yes. but as I was researching, I thought he's been in a ton of movies, and he has and been in several since 2011, so he's still doing some work. An indie film, uh, uh, an indie film hero, kind of. He's like in a lot of yeah, indie Yeah, oh yeah, films. oh yeah, they're all, they're all indies, I don't think he's been in anything big. They're all indie, you know, obscure movies, and he does a lot of uh, He was, he was, he voiced one of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, I believe. 
That's not true. I made that up. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> Here come the funnies. He could have, though. Uh, so he's just an interesting guy. He's a very quiet family type. Like, he's got his wife, you know, he keeps his family very separate and chooses to be outside the, the spotlight in a lot of ways. But uh, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little no bit doubt. more in depth just about that first album. So his first album is 1973, by the name of Closing Time. Tom Waits actually started uh, doing folk, doing folk music for a yes. few years. That was a lesser known thing. And so just, you know, him and acoustic guitar type stuff, he was way into folk, particularly Bob Dylan, which makes sense if you're into folk and, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. You gotta be into Bob Dylan. You have to. It's a law. Got to be. Um, so he started out there. He was just kind of bumming around. He was a uh, a bouncer at a nightclub, uh-huh. yeah, trying to get into these like free, you know, or you know, these different artist nights or booking stuff around town. I believe he's in was it San Diego? I don't remember. Southern California. And then he starts to uh, to make the move to the bigger time and try to do a little bit more. And starts doing gigs in San Francisco. Moves to San Francisco and starts doing more there. And gets picked up by. You know, somebody to start doing some. Uh, somebody. <laughs> somebody. I didn't write down enough. <laughs> some person. Information of <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway. Uh. He gets noticed a little bit. Gets uh, does a bunch of demos. Actually, there are some later compilations called the Early Years, Volume One and Two. Yeah. Which are a compilation things. of early demos from before his first album, and they're really heavy on. The first album, nine out of the twelve tracks are there, and his folk influence is much more clear there. Though yeah. it does come through. Yeah, those are nice. And close down. They're nice. They're nice. They're not finished, but it's okay. Um, so closing time is kind of a mixture of of these folky songs, along with some jazzier, more piano led ones. Apparently, he wanted it to be more jazzier and piano led, and his producer management kind of forced him into doing a bunch of the older folk songs as well. Okay. So it's a mixture, though. It's not. I, I wouldn't call it an unholy mixture. I feel like they gel together. No. No. Well. No. Certainly not. Than Certainly not think. unholy. No, no, no. I don't know. That's a, that's a strong word there, Jake. That was awesome. His next album, The Heart of Saturday Night, ends up going full-blown into that jazzier, piano-led, muted trumpet. Right. Kind of kind of schmaltzy. It gets pretty schmaltzy. Oh, good. so gloriously schmaltzy. <laughs> Closing time is not that schmaltzy. It isn't. Only a little bit schmaltzy. Yeah. Tom Bates had that in him as well. <laughs> and even oh. after he got weird, he still had the... Uh, he turned on the schmaltz every once in a while. Oh, turn it, turn it straight up to 11, baby. <laughs> Let's get schmaltzy. So Closing Time has, like, it has a very uh, late-night bars closing feel. I mean, one might even think of Closing Time mm. when things of, the, things of the lyrics. The, uh... Bell, the... acoustic guitar, piano, uh, upright bass, and some, you know, light jazzy drum. A little bit of muted trumpet in there, you know, just to sprinkle that in there for a little ambiance. Ooh, just, yeah, dressed in the background. You know, I thought this whole time you were talking about Supersonic's hit 90s song, Closing Time. You haven't been, that's not what you're talking oh, about Jake. right now? Oh, no? Jake. Oh, okay. Maybe that's ne- next episode. That's the one you picked, right? Closing time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I just, I in the beginning kind of pulled open, I read a quote from a Rolling Stone article. Because the uh, the album did get good reviews, mm-hmm. uh, and Rolling Stone described him as being a boozier Randy Newman, which yeah. is a great description at this time. <laughs> like later, latter day Tom Waits, you can't imagine him being, you know, compared to Randy Newman. But no, there's, there's I can see oh, it. I can way, totally see it on way, this one. Way back then, for sure. Yeah. 
he's he's got that going for him. It's these kind of story songs. It is like right. really late night feel and things about you know. Right. And kind of like leaving your lover, and I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Yeah. That's a great one. But also like in, then, you know some some mundane you know some some ostensibly mundane kind of things that he yeah. just sings about like you know that's something you should be singing about at a piano at a yeah. bar you know. Yeah. There's nothing like over dramatic. There's nothing really big in this. It's all very yeah. It's pretty muted. Back. Calm down. Like I said, it had good reviews when it came out, but nobody bought it. Yeah. It was not a hit, not popular, mm. it didn't go anywhere. It was influential. I mean, some people that picked it up, like, went for it. So, Jake, I have a, I have a multiple choice question oh, for you. Oh, sweet, man. I like multiple choice questions. I like to invest things here a little bit. So. All right, I'm ready. Uh, closing time has gone gold in the UK. What? But it took a long time. Ah. Uh. So. Here's your multiple choice question. Mm-hmm. In what year did Closing Time finally go gold in the UK? And just to be clear, Listen. that's that's five hundred thousand copies of. Well, no, it's less oh. in the UK. Oh right, right, right. That's a scaled. Five hundred thousand in the US. I don't remember what it is in the UK. Okay, whatever. Anyway. Got it. Was it A, nineteen eighty-two? Okay. B, nineteen ninety-two. Hmm. C, two thousand two. Hmm. D, twenty twelve. Or E, it hasn't actually gotten gold yet. We expect it'll probably happen in 2022. <laughs> well, you said it already went gold. So unless you're a liar, I've been lying. I am. I am a liar. You so are a liar. Lie you're a. Uh, you're you're a bad liar. You've been working on it, but you're still lying a lot. Um, you know what? I'm gonna say because of like the CD boom and maybe some reissue kind of stuff. I'm tempted to say 2002. I, but I don't remember if it got reissued. I know he's been doing vinyl reissues in the last 10 years or so. The last seven or eight years. Oh, man. Tough choice between 02 and 12. I'm going to say, give me 12. Give me 2012. Oh, man, he's done it. He's done I did it. it. Well, done. well done. You got it. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I win this podcast. Yeah, it took almost 40 years to go gold in the UK. Wow. Well, it did, though. It did, though. Um, and that's um, that's 100 copies in the UK. That's how it scales down, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. Way to go, Tom. <laughs> Like I said, though, the album, in spite of the fact that it wasn't terribly popular, it was influential. And I kind of think of Tom Waits as, like, kind of similar to Leonard Cohen and and Bob Dylan probably falls in that, too. Is they're amazing songwriters, but their delivery is so idiosyncratic that I think it's off-putting to a lot of people. Yeah. For sure, and, so and uh, you can throw one for sure. Bob Dylan probably to a lesser extent. Well, you can throw but Neil. You can throw Neil Young in there too. Neil Young belongs in there too. His voice is so divisive, and you either love it or you don't want yeah. to have anything to do with it. But they're, they're amazing songwriters, so there's a whole bunch of covers yes. that end up being like big hits and super popular, whereas the originals weren't, or you know, weren't as big, or I maybe mean, it's just another one that's big. Um, and so this album, even though it's his first album. A whole bunch of like major artists have covered these songs. They've done studio covers of the songs. So, Jake, I'm going to give you, this is not a multiple choice one, this is a series of true and falses. Ah, TFs. Got them. So I'm going to give you the names of artists, and you're going to tell me if you think they did a studio cover. It's not just like they played it live once. Right, right, right. Sure, sure. Your cover came out on an album or compilation or something. Okay, all right. You ready for it? I'm ready. Hit me. Tim Buckley. Tim Buckley is a false. Uh, incorrect. Wow. That is a true. And he did the release the cover in nineteen seventy three, the same year close wow. to Wow, see released. that's what got that's what got me thrown off. I know he was, was a, an early seventies guy. He, he died. Martha. He, he died, right? Yeah, he died. Tim Buckley, yeah, okay. 
Uh, next up, Meatloaf. Meatloaf? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be bad at this. I'm going to say that's true. Go on, Meatloaf. That is true. Yes! Meatloaf. We also covered Martha. <laughs> I guess that's the one. Next up, the Eagles. The Eagles did. I know that for sure. True. Okay, that's right. They did Old, old that's 55. That's right. Old 55. Good one. Good song. That was Tom Waits' first single also. That's right. And the first one on the album. The first one on the album. You're correct. Yeah. Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Screamin' Jay Hawkins. I don't know yeah. who that is, but we're going to say true, baby. Gotta that's be true. That's true. You covered Ice Cream Man. <laughs> oh, Ice Cream Man. That's the worst song on the album. But maybe Screamin'. It's like, it doesn't feel like, that one doesn't feel like quite It fast. doesn't fit. It's by far the most, uh, I don't know, fastest. Yeah. It's kind of like that's an att- tempo, or you know, yeah. I feel like it was an attempt, you know, to just kind of shake things up a little bit, but it didn't need shaking up. Ice cream man, yeah. I'm a one man band, yeah. Baby, I'll get good to you. Screaming Jay Hawkins. <laughs> All right, mixing things up a little bit to a much newer act. Bat for lashes. Oh, bat for lashes. Well, I know you. I know you're big on them. Uh, her. Uh, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say yes. Bat for lashes did. Yeah. Yeah, she covered Lonely. Okay, mm-hmm. great, great. 10,000 Maniacs. Ooh, 10,000 Maniacs. Up Give them what they want. Let's do... <laughs> yeah, I mean, are all, all these true? Yes. 10,000 Maniacs, yes. <laughs> yes, they did. I hope that I don't fall in love with you. <laughs> oh, I love that one. Great song. Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, you know, yes. A thousand, a thousand times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they also covered I Hope That I Don't Fall in Love With You. Oh, man. <laughs> and the last one, Bette Midler. Well, I know that's for sure true. So yes, a thousand times. No, you're wrong. It's false. It is. Bette Midler never covered his song. She never covered a song of a closing time. Oh it's come on! It's just come on! It's just closing time, Jake. You you know what? This is. I quit. <laughs> I quit. She did. She did do a live cover of Martha on SNL. Well, then she did cover it, so. This is what studio cover is, Jake. Yeah, I know. You went over that. Thanks. Very clear about that. Thanks, Professor. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome. I was very sincere about that, thanks. That was not a sarcastic thing. I bet you were. I bet you were. (laughs) (sighs) All right, so, Jake, part of this this is me saying what I think you think about this album. That's right. This is part of our 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 spiel here. This is my show today. Yeah. I picked the album. I did the research. But you also listened to it. I did. I also have to know you had. This isn't like the first time you'd ever listened to it. You were not even, not even close. Yeah, to some extent. Right. Um, And so I, my guess on this is that you are, you know, feeling pretty good about this album. Mm -hmm. I think it's a a good, solid album. It's got a lot of stuff you like. It's got that folk influence. Yep. It's classic rock. Period. Yep. Got some tickling the ivories. Oh yeah, I'm into uh, that. The lyrics are solid. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know you like Tom Waits from later on too. So I'm, I'm thinking that you got pretty good feelings about this album. Okay, so what, what what do you think that I would give it? So I mean, uh, we'll just we'll just stop here uh, quick to to explain our point system. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're each going to give every one of these albums that we look at points, and mm-hmm. um, this goes from actually a negative five to a plus five. So we can give something a zero, which is just like means nothing, I guess. It's like the nihilistic score. We can go really low with a negative five, which I think would have to be like I don't know that Lou Reed and. Metallica album probably that, like the worst <laughs> album of all time but then there's some you know there's going to be some super classics we talk about and those might get a plus five but part of the fun here is that we're going to try to imagine what the other person would give these albums knowing what we do about them 
such as what what do you think that I give Tom Waits closing time? I'm gonna say that you're coming pretty solid with a um say a two point five. A two point five, okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. So um Part of our podcast, too, is we, we each get to talk about these albums. We The other person forces the other person to listen to them. And even though I don't need to be forced to listen to a, a Tom Waits album. Um, I'm a huge Tom Waits fan. I can't actually remember if I was into him in high school or not, but I definitely started with him in college. And my first albums that I liked were of kind of his later vintage. I think maybe the first anti-ones, maybe? Uh, I don't think they were... Oh, that late. Yeah, like we're Mule, talking uh, Mule, Mule Variations from yeah, 90, yeah, yeah. from 98. Was that an anti-record? Yeah, that's his first anti That's his first one, okay. So he okay. kind of made a cultural comeback there. Um, yeah, that's true. A little bit, you know, uh, I'm Big in Japan and Come On Up to the House and like some really, some really good ones. Uh, my I think time, that was more of a, a comeback based on lack of activity than a comeback based on like making bad albums. Yeah, no, I don't think he was making bad albums. Because like Bone Machine all. is not... And that was, you know, that's one of his best. I think he just kind of fell out of, you know, either by atrophy or or what. He fell yeah. out of the culture for just a few years and then, and yeah, then kind of came, came roaring back. Uh, my all-time favorite Tom Waits song is uh, I Don't Want to Grow Up. Um, a song that I introduced to certain people in music therapy because it's uh, it's it's kind of got some therapeutic elements and it's a fun now, song. Jake, what do you think about this, like, the super poppy Scarlett Johansson cover of that song? Uh, no. That's a no. <laughs> no. I like the Scarlett Johansson cover of Tom Waits. I really do, but that, not that song. No, that's no like thanks. Album. No, yeah. that's it's kind of a hard pass, and you that's and bad. you ruined it, Scarlett. Get a career other than music. <laughs> she got a career, Jim. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's still going someplace, probably. <laughs> uh, so we already discussed his, uh, his I, I still follow Tom's career. Um, his last album was Bad As Me, and I, that was probably in my top ten albums of 2011, looking back. Um, love that album. Great opener. Like, it's just, it's good It's good stuff. Um, so that's been almost ten years now, and like our old friend Bob Dylan, I just sit around and wait for that sweet comeback juice to flow with Tom. I just, you know, check Pitchfork every once in a while, see if, see if, uh-huh. he's, up, see if he's on the mend. Uh, my other favorite album of his is Nighthawks at the Diner, which was pretty okay. early. Um, that's that's kind of the live I think album. It was like his third album, yeah. It's like yeah. a pseudo live album. It's not yeah. a real live album. But it's I think it's seventy seventy eight yeah. or seventy six or something like that. That's early. I'm gonna say it's like his third or fourth release. Something. Like um, that. That's that's the one where it's a it's a live album where he really really goes in on being a sleazy lounge singer. It's just mm-hmm. hilarious and ribald. And sleazy, and that's when I think he perfects the kind of disgusting lounge singer um, who you root for in spite of yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, all that is to say that I hear the beginnings of mature Tom Waits on Closing Time, his first album, but he's not quite there yet in terms of what I think he would do best in his career. Like the humor and the grossness and the violence and the frank depictions and experience of death are missing almost entirely from the debut. Um, it's, a little, it's a little feathery for me. Uh, yeah. but, but what is there, however, is the cleverness, the unapologetic prettiness, the rock-solid songwriting, as you mentioned, and that weird, like, old soul in a young person vibe, um, which mm-hmm. not, not everybody has, for sure. You know, we're talking like... Tom Waits is one of those guys you can't picture him young. No. You know, like, he's, he's old even when he's young. Right, right. He's talking about, you know, these, like, really weird relationships he's been in, and he's, like, 22 right. or whatever he was. Right, right. He's in his early to mid-20s, Yeah. yeah. And uh, and uh, it also has that so sad it's happy feeling, the entire album, mm-hmm. um, that means mm-hmm. a lot to me. It makes me feel like I'm in my 20s at the time and just hungry for love and pain and moroseness. 
And I affectionately <laughs> describe these types of songs and style of music as sad bastard music. I love me some <laughs> sad bastard music. And Tom Waits is a you know, one of the great purveyors of sad bastard music. Um, so in terms of what I want to give it for a score, um, I think it's the album itself is a little slight and a little derivative, but it's a really nice listen, really nice debut. And even though he was cribbing from Randy Newman, I had that in my notes before you mentioned him, uh, he was cribbing like, pretty hard on this one. And only this one. He, he moves past it pretty quick. So my standout tracks are Old 55, I Hope That I Don't Fall In Love With You, and uh, there's a really gorgeous instrumental finale called, you guessed it, Closing, Closing time. time. Closing Time. Not covered by Supersonic in the 90s, even though it should have been. <laughs> so I actually give it, uh, you said I would give it a 2.5. I give it a 1.5 out of 5. Um, but I was yeah. very okay with putting it on a couple times in preparation for this yeah. podcast. Just nice, yeah. you know, 1.5. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks for that. Hey, no problem. So, <laughs> I thought of a little more hype than you. Um, I liked your little description of how you came to Tom Waits. I think I also got in Tom Waits when I was in college, I'm pretty sure. But I came at him from his, you know, best-known early to mid-'80s, so Rain Dogs and Swordfish Trombones which are still my favorite two Great albums ones. by him. Yeah, can't argue with that. I love that. You know, that's just when he come, came into his own, really, like, so weird. came off of the lounge singer stuff. It's such, there's, they're both such a mixture of different styles and genres and different things. He's, he's doing a lot with each of those albums. And that's right after he gets married, or not you know, not long after he gets married, he's doing a lot of stuff and really, like, in my opinion, at his peak. So, uh, Bone totally. Peak is really awesome. I didn't just for that one until much later. I didn't get that until much later on. Um, I think Closing Time was probably my third... Tom Waits album. Okay. I think about it. it was Rain Dogs and Swordfish Trombones and Closing Time. And I think Swordfish Trombones is probably my favorite at this point. But I really like Closing Time. It's a really strong, I think it's a strong collection of songs, simple and enjoyable. Yep. Um, definitely, I, I think it's likely less polarizing than his later work. For so sure. I love his later work. This whole album's like, it's hard to picture somebody really vividly disliking this album like who would you know i don't know who i don't know, I don't know who, who you would be listen to this and go like oh this is horrible because I, I don't know. because his voice isn't even that growly so like no, you can't even not. you it's can't not. complain you can't even like be like i can't stand his voice because it's not no. that it's not no. that bad so again not as good as A's nice peak my I, I was thinking my favorite songs from it i only put two down but uh they're two out of your three it's the old <laughs> 55 and, and the yeah. instrumental closing time at the end is really good so yeah Nice. The good songs. So I went a little higher. I gave this puppy a three. Okay. You gave it a three. Wow. A three. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're going to have a three. And so another another that little... Averages out, averages out to a 2.25 for, uh, for <laughs> hey. the official score from Louder Than Sound. Good math. And, good math. and uh, so what's the combined score then? Two, well, 1.5 well, yeah, plus so three. So, we're not averaging them. We're adding them, aren't we? We can average. Yeah, we can average for no reason. Before. <laughs> we talked before and this was going to be an, an adding situation I just kind of forgot for a second <laughs> you're just, you're so it's a 4.5 the you're official an, score is not 2.25 it's 4.5 I mean you're you're way more of an average guy than a cumulative the guy com everybody knows that about you so I can see how <laughs> it's written all over my face you know with only two choices we can't do a mean score um, so that's unfortunate we need at least three to have a middle um, so bummer now that's the mean is the same as the average, Jake. Oh, so what's the other one? Median. We're talking about the I'm talking, median. I'm talking median. Yes. Re researching that. Or the mode. Mode all, it does not work either with all the features. Okay. When they aren't Sounds great. This is fascinating. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, 4.5 for closing time. Woo! A new record. Huh? <laughs> it's 
the highest and the lowest score Louder Than Sound has ever given. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, and so uh, for next time, so one more little note about the structure of our podcast. Um, we used to do, when we did Bowie versus Dylan, we did Bowie and Dylan in the same in the same podcast, and we just smushed them together. But this time around, we're going to do one album per week. So you, you're going to hear us again next week um, discussing my favorite, for, or not my favorite, the first album that I chose for this theme of first albums, and that's going to be Soul Coughing's Ruby Vroom. A little bit different. A little bit different. I'd say a lot different. A lot different. And so until then, we're going to say goodbye to you from the Louder Than Sound podcast. So long. <laughs>